and welcome to the Brisbane Football Review for another week here. It's Scott Host this week because James is over in New Zealand facing the consequences for his Wellington Phoenix rants. So I'm joined by Adam, who should also be over there given the things he said about Wellington no, in the last season. I don't go to New Zealand, they can pay for me. Did you interrupt my intro? <laughs> Sorry. I'm also, we're also joined for the first time this season by a regular Angela Basketball Women's Game. Angela, good to see you again. Nice to have you back, guys. Enjoying the World Cup, everyone? Yeah, <laughs> well, more more than other people apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Yeah, it's not the Croatian here on the on the panel today. Nervous for the game tonight? I'm very very nervous for the game tonight. I'm hoping that I'll actually catch the full game tonight instead of hiding around and walking around facing my house. Well, we will get to that game shortly. But I have to first do I have to apologise for the quality of the audio because we have had a few technical difficulties here. So James's job might technically be safe. We'll have to. We'll have to see. We might bring someone else in. We'll see. Mm. But we'll get to that game. We'll get to the World Cup shortly, along with the Raw preseason and the NPL. Actually, we'll start with the World Cup because it's been unbelievable, this World Cup, hasn't it? It's been one of the best World Cups, I think, in recent times, generally. Uh, look, Gianni Pantano said that um, it was the best World Cup ever, and, I, and I'd find it hard to disagree, actually. For all the sort of the, the worries that for this World Cup, I actually think it's been high quality. Like, the VAR might be a bit of a legacy shadow on it, but... Overall, the football's been great. I think it's entertainment plus. We'll get to the hour in a minute. What are your thoughts on tournament generally, Angel? So I think it's been a fabulous tournament. I think it's been actually pretty decent considering, well, I've only really been watching the World Cup for the past two tournaments, so that's when I got on board with watching football. And I do have to say it has been leaps and bounds above South Africa and um, um, Brazil in recent years. Um, I think the only thing overshadowing, yes, is VAR, but also a few of... like other issues involving um, female journalists and everything around it. But otherwise, fans-wise, games-wise, anyone can win games. It's been fabulous. Well, speaking of winning games, what's everyone's going to talk for me? I have to go back to the group stage. It's either Portugal and Spain or it's Mexico beating Germany for me. They're the two best games. Also, the second half of Argentina and Croatia, which I very much enjoyed. They would be the three standout games for me. Adam? Me? Mine was um, hands down France v uh, Argentina in round 16. Like, that would, like, you had some of the best goals of the tournament come out and just the drama surrounding that. Yeah, that, that to me was the standout game. But I, I haven't seen too many games live in my Socceroos games. That game and um, England-Sweden, I really haven't seen too much live. So. I, think, I think you saw the only good game France played the whole tournament then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually have to say that the semi-final between Croatia and England, while I couldn't really like watch a lot of it, I have watched the replays, um, and it was just fabulous to watch that, and also the game against uh, Croatia against Russia. It, the, the goals in that game, and Russia really stepping it up. Like, having previously watched Russia at these tournaments, I never really thought much of them as a football nation, but they really did show that they're stepping in the right direction, and they come 2020 if they do qualify again. They could be really force to be reckoned with. I think there's a bit of boxing about. You know, they they they're the lowest ranked tournament going in, the lowest ranked team going into this tournament. So, uh, and you'd think that you know, being the host would, and it's sort of a softer draw if you caught that would have helped. But like they've actually played some really good football. Hey, softer draws don't always help people to start England. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that game when the, the opening game was against uh, was it Egypt and they Love Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia sorry, and they won five nil. A lot of people probably didn't expect them to do that, and even yeah. against Egypt yeah. when they won there too. Probably Egypt, probably, people would probably expect <laughs> Egypt to do better with just Mo Salah, but apparently you can't just have one player and win the World Cup. <laughs> He's still in our young's pocket from the Premier League. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should we, quick. You mentioned, both mentioned the VAR. I should quickly talk about. It. Do you think it's overshadowed the tournament at all? Because for me, it's been fine. It hasn't really interfered too much with the game. Maybe it's because it hasn't been used very much. But I think it's just been certain moments in the game where um, people have called on to it, especially Cristiano Ronaldo, saying it should be a VAR, <laughs> but 
again, again, that's Ronaldo. And some discrepancy, especially in the France-Australia game, I guess that overshadowed it for a lot of Australian fans who didn't think that opening goal should have been given to France. Look, overall, I think it's, it's a better version than what... We've, we've been accustomed to Australia with the A-League, the way they do it, and I think the way that's going <laughs> to probably go, I think it's better. Look, uh, there's always going to be controversy in football, no matter what. Uh, I think even the VAR. But look, I think for now, it's going to be a talking point. But, you know, go a year or two down track when it's all refined, maybe it won't be such a big deal. To be fair, anything's better on the way to Australia and to the VAR. But speaking yeah, exactly. of these guys, we should quickly talk about the Socceroos. We won't talk That's about the way. actual results, but did we actually learn anything from this tournament? It's probably a better question. <laughs> Ooh. I think we've learned quite a lot, um, especially after the game. I know. On, well, it sticks there. Well, I think the thing is going in with Graham Martin. I know a lot of people don't give Graham Martin a lot of hope, but his attitude to wanting the team to probably play together as a team instead of 11 different individuals on the pitch could really help the side going into the Asian Cup. He hasn't got much time, really, to give the team what they really need, which is a better defensive line, better structure, and actually people who can score goals. But that isn't something that he can bring in himself. It's just got to be better players who are coming into the side. For me, scoring goals has always been Australia's problem. I know we've had a lot of good attackers in the past, Mark Viduka, Harry, but they weren't prolific for us going, going into... When I think World Cup, we've led like 14 minutes in total or something ridiculous like that. The amount of games Australia have conceded the first goal and then not come back, it's, it's always goals have always issues. been a problem. It's always been an issue scoring. I think people have been saying that for the last three years, but I think this World Cup just really brought it to light. Look, I think uh, what we learnt was that you know the Bert van Marwijk um, appointment was a band-aid solution just to get us through. And I, to be honest, that to expect more than what we sort of got, I think I, I just I just think at the end of the day, you know, he was he was employed to do to get us through the World Cup and then go beyond that. Like I think in talking about positives, we discovered Daniel Alzani, you know, could be you know a future superstar for Australia. But other than that, I think you know what we should be actually quite happy with what we did, seeing the expectations and seeing that we fell over the line, basically, in qualifying. We absolutely did just fall over the line in qualifying. And on Arzani, I think it's important people just take the pressure off him. Stop saying he's the next Harry Kiel. Stop with all this stuff. Because the same age, Harry Kiel was a young player in the Premier League. Mm. He's got tremendous talent, which we've seen in the A-League, but he's got a long way to go. He needs to get a club over in Europe now and start playing he's at only, a higher level. He's only 19. I think people forget that he is 19. He can't actually start games. You don't just chuck a 19-year-old on at the World Cup as a forward it's not going to work he's not Mbappe or anyone like that <laughs> and you can you can see they're both the same age but you can see the lot years of oh, yeah, talent yeah. and the training they both received yeah. that to, it's completely different to be quite honest you know to compare Daniel Azani to Kylian Mbappe I think I think it's an insult to Mbappe it's embarrassing and, yeah. a, and a lot and a lot of other players that age in Europe you know Daniel Azani you know when he goes over there you know Look, he's only a single swim in here. He might be dime a dozen, or he might find the extra, extra special to stand out. But that will be on you know, his next club to, to develop him. But right now, like, he's, he's, like, he's Australia's great white hope, yeah. but nothing beyond that. We really do need more. But you mentioned Kylian Mbappe, so we'll move to the semi-finals now. And he had an excellent game against Belgium in the, what, their 1-0 win to get to the final. Yeah, the only um, downfall was his random fall during the game. To be fair, it's not as bad as Neymar, right? <laughs> no, not as bad as Neymar, yeah. but it's Nothing something that bad as Neymar. <laughs> he, he doesn't need to do that in the game. Yeah. He is so talented that he doesn't need to have that part of his game. He's a, yeah, and like, he's great, but that was the one shadow of his game in that semi final. It's unfortunate. Yeah, look, um,. Yeah, at the end of the day, it was always going to be a you know, sort of a tight affair, and you know th- that one bit of brilliance was always going to get whoever over on, be it France or Belgium. And uh, like I said, it was uh, Samuel Mtiti that was the one that scored. And um, yeah, look, at, at the end of the day, it's sort of no shock that you know, France has been building and building and building towards getting to the final. So 
they've been they've been good in patches. Like I said it's not, it hasn't been exciting, exhilarating football, but it's result driven. Certainly not with Deschamps. But now no. I'm confused because I thought football was going home. <laughs> but they, they've, been, they've been lying to us for a song, and I hate it when people do that because Croatia won one nil in extra time, two one in extra time. Beg your pardon, yeah. with Mandzukic, and we'll we'll get to Croatia in a minute. But England. Is it, what sort of tournament's been for them? Because they've been talking up, they've been fantastic, but to me they've been very, very lucky with their draw. You, you strip away all the hyperbole and all that. I think you, you'd be looking at 2022 for this, this yeah. side. I think it'd be like, it'd be like the German, German team back in 2010. You knew that now eventually they were going to build towards something. And I think it's, it's all well and good that, you know, they, they get to the semi-final um, whatnot. But I think, it's, you know, there's some real promise, you know, going forward for the next four years that, that Gareth Southgate can work with. Not even just the next four years, but looking into mm. 2020 for yeah. the Euros, if they do qualify to very random Euros, that's going to be... Hasn't everyone qualified basically <laughs> with no host? It's, it's, I think that's really going to be a testing point for that side to see where they are then mm. two years on to Qatar. Um, overall, I, I think the side does have a lot of special things about it. It's just let's hope that they just don't implode from the inside out, mm. that their egos of certain players don't overtake the ones and they actually be a team. I think that was the same issue that France had in 2010. They had a bunch of great players, and they just, lords, no one knows what happens still. I think the thing with this English team at the moment, other than, say, Harry Kane, they really don't have too much, like, like as far as up until this point, you know, that that superstar, you know, there. And I think a few of them are going to obviously grow from this. Um, But like Harry Maguire, for example, you know, he's how he's valued, what he's valued now is beyond me, but. But like I said, he's English and he had a decent World Cup. <laughs> but yeah, to Angel's point, 2020 probably is a um, it's probably it'll be a good sort of you know milestone. See where they're tracking beyond this because I said if they make it to the final, it will be at Wimbledon. Oh, they can lose another final. Though, don't you? <laughs> now, you said you hope they don't, but I hope they do personally. But now we have to get to Croatia. It's absolutely historic. And how, how important is this for Croatia, Angel? Because it's an unbelievable story. It is really important for the side. I think a lot of people will have reading now have known the history of Croatia. When they last made the semi-finals, they've literally been a nation for three years, and to have done, to have lost to France in that game, while a lot of people in Croatia weren't, they were upset about it. It's it's something that wasn't uh, that's the moment, but now to be able to possibly beat France in the final, get that revenge from '98, it's so big for them. It's and people saying that's a nation of 4 million people. No, it's a nation of 4.5 million people. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, we, we will get that potential event against Croatia. But first, we do have to talk about the third place game. Does anyone bother watching it? Uh, I watched the first 45 on my phone. <laughs> what, ha- what happened? I didn't even bother with this game. To me, it's the worst game of football that can possibly be played. Cause Belgium, I think they really had a really hard game. They played really poorly against France in the semi-final. They shouldn't have played that poorly. They actually should really be in the semi-final in the final, considering how they went through the tournament. It's actually a really poor reflection on England as well that they did lose to Belgium for the second time this tournament. <laughs> so but, fourth place is coming home, though. <laughs> but for Belgium, it's, it's a fantastic it's a fantastic finish. They're highest place finish, third place. And it's a real big... It's an actual real big win for them, considering where they were four years ago. Like, they were just coming out of the gates back then, and everyone's like, they've got really big hopes for Belgium. So I think, yeah, 2020 will also be another big milestone for Belgium seeing where they're at and tracking them for 2022 because it could be interesting to see how many of these players are still around four years' time. Will your friend Martin is still be there, Adam? Will he still be there? I don't think so. That's going to be the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, um... Look, to be fair, I'm fairly biased against Roberto Martinez after what he did to Everton. So, <laughs> so look, but at the end of the day, look, I don't, I don't think it really matters who um, manages that, that Belgium side. It might a little bit because that might be that, that killer instinct to get them from, you know, third or fourth into that final and beyond. But, um, look, I think that 
in general, I think the, the power as far as football at the moment is in UEFA and in Europe at the moment. Yep. The last six teams left well, that were left were all European teams, you know. So, so yeah, I think you know, but Euro 2020 might be a very, very interesting tournament, I think. I think it's going to be more interesting compared to recent tournaments, especially 2016, where you could get out of your group and beat Portugal and not yeah. really win any games, but still make the final and mm. win it. You could lose to Iceland, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll get to the final. France against Croatia tonight. It's a 1 a.m. start, Australian yeah, time. You probably, start. if you, by the time it's finished, you might have already seen the results, so we won't spoil it. But, <laughs> so France have been in the final twice before. They won 3 0 against, against Brazil in 98 mm. and then lost 5 4 on penalties to Italy in 2006. It's their third final in 20 years, and if they do win, they'll be the. They will join Argentina and Uruguay as two-time champions. Well, as for Croatia, it's their first appearance in the World Cup final, obviously. They're the 13th nation to reach the final in the smallest since Uruguay in 1950. And if they do happen to, to win, a, win a tournament, they'll be the ninth different winner. So, what sort of game are we expecting here? Will think, Croatia be as fatigued as everyone makes it out to be? I think it's literally come down to the first half and who's going to score that goal. I don't think France are going to be as lax as England yeah. was in the second half. I think yeah. even if Croatia bring it in the second half and they're a goal down, France won't take their foot off the pedal like England did. So it really comes down to if Croatia are up to the first half. Their mentality is right, if they are playing, and they're not as fatigued as people are saying they are. But it literally will come down to the first 45 minutes to see who will actually win this, It's I think. probably going to be a low-scoring game, right? Because the last two World Cup finals have been 1-0, decided next time before that it was one all into penalties. So it's probably going to be a low-scoring game, right, Adam? Look, I, yeah, I actually think this will go 120 minutes at least. Whether, if it goes to penalties or not, that's, we'll see. But, um, look, I think that it's either that or it's going to be one moment. It's going to be one moment, yeah. as I say, of either brilliance or stupidity that will sort, will sort this tie out. Right, we'll keep going. Who's going to provide that brilliance or stupidity? Who's going to win the game? I think it'll be, um, I think, for me, I think it'll be France, and I think it'll be um, Kylian Mbappe. I think he, it's, it's his tournament, and he can really put his name up in lights and join the likes of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo in that conversation with Ballon d'Or with a big performance. As much as I'd like to disagree with you, because France have poured me to tears watching them this tournament, they've been absolutely <laughs> dreadful to watch, I do, and I would rather see Croatia because they've entertained me so much more, but I do think France might just go over line. But we'll go to you last, Andrew. As a question, how are they going to win? How I'm probably we... very biased in it then. I have to say credit to France for whatever they've done through this tournament. They may have bored us with their football, but it's been clinical. It's been great. It's been great to see them come from where they were about eight years ago. Um, <laughs> I do think Croatia will win. I have lots of hope, and I'm pretty sure it'll be a Modric moment. He's been brilliant throughout this tournament. He I can't really brilliant. say anything else about him. <laughs> Look, uh, just to, just to uh, follow up on my point as well, but you know what? If... I wouldn't be unhappy if Croatia wins. I think that would be great for the, in the world order of football. Yeah. I think that would be a great thing. But my head says France. <laughs> yeah. Just. Head says France, Croatia. Oh, says Croatia, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Good luck to both teams. Hopefully it's a good game anyway, without any VAR interruptions. But we'll be yeah. back after the break on the football review. And welcome back to the British Football Review. We're here at Goodwood Park. We're going to head off the Round 21 NPL Queensland clash between the Raw Youth and Olympic, obviously. Apologies for the background noise, it's a bit loud here, but we'll talk about the Royal Pre-Season now, and they've had two games so far this week. So far, they've played the Logan Lightning, and they won 4 0 thanks to Dalton Reed and Duncan and double from Bochak. And on Thursday night, they beat Mackay, and which one is Magpies Bears United SC, Logo Jaggers have the full name. They beat them 5 0 thanks to Perry from Bochak and Enrique, along with Dalton Maratovic and Sawyer. So, what can we take from these games? Well, look, I actually look at the defence. I say, you know, two clean sheets is actually probably a positive. Um, and from from what we're hearing, you know, Brendan White hasn't been tested neither that much. Um, Magpies Crusaders apparently put up a little bit more than what Logan did, but um, 
Look, I think at the end of the day, it's good, positive. It's minutes and legs. And actually, positively, actually, the young guys are actually getting on the score sheet, which is also pretty good. It's good to see the younger players of the side um, being able to you know, play a few minutes even. And I think it's good to heading into a A-League season where people have been criticised for not playing the young players. So being able to include them in pre-season games and in training, and I think it's a good start for Raw if they have to bring anyone into the squad that's injured. Well, there's not much we can actually say about these games because we haven't really seen them and there's no highlights so, so we can say the next game we know of for the Raw is on August the 7th at Dalton Stadium in the FA Cup round of 32. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen this game? Really? It's a tough game, considering they've only been playing a QPL side or an NPL side. I think City's big step up for them, depending on who, do, who City actually put out on the field. Look, we think having minutes in the league will help them a lot. Look, so I, I don't think City played a game yet. I think so. That's the point I was going to make. That um, look, we've all been in, in preseason training for five weeks now. City have only just gotten back apparently. No preseason game. We don't. We don't know what their schedule is going to be. But you'd think that you know Raw might actually start favourites in terms of fitness and all that. And then we'll see what happens on um, August the seventh. Whether they actually put together. Hopefully, it's a better show in the last year. I think. I think it is actually very important as well. I think this is a sign of intent from John Alwisi and the club that you know by starting preseason in June, they're not going to treat the FA Cup as if it's just another preseason run. Like the draw probably conspired against us, and there's a as equal chance that we could beat, but um, at least then there's at least a sign of intent that they actually go and take the cup seriously. Yeah, it's very interesting to see them actually starting this far ahead of like the actual competition. But I think it's good for all considering where they were last season. They really needed to come into the new um, A League season and really work for it. We a lot of people fans wouldn't agree, but last year was a building block until this season. It was um it was a mess and it was going to be a mess. We lost some of the best players in the competition and for the team. So I think this year starting early just really shows that the CR really want to build something strong. Actually reminds me of the, the championship this war in one way because they started off very early in those season they just lost a couple of years. A lot of local pre-season games around the place. So it's a bit of a throwback to that as well. I think obviously um, we had back then you had the sort of the road the Royal Road show where they went to pretty much I think it was like 14, 15 games or something that the Raw played against local clubs in that pre-season, that championship year. Like obviously, with FA Cup, that changes the pre-season mix a little. But you do see signs... And I think the most important thing is that 21 officially signed players in squad, more than any other club, I, I imagine. That, that, that's all got to be a positive thing. And you can tell, you know, from the fans sort of talk on social media and whatnot, is that there is a action here positivity. Well, you mentioned 21 players, so I mean, it might be a 22nd because Stefan Nigo has been linked in the career mail this week. Could he be a good pickup for us? I think, yeah. He's just like to audio medium, Angela. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> look, yeah, look, I think um, at, at very least he is another fullback option. He replaces, you know, Corey Brown. Um, and look, I actually think it's, and it's funny that it's almost like a trade, you know, Corey Brown goes to Melbourne Victory. Stephanie Grove comes here if it, if it happens. It's the club still to confirm that. That's what the reports are. And look, I think it'd be a very shrewd signing. I think, and that makes it 22, and they keep that one spot up their sleeve. Yeah, I don't see them a problem with getting more fullbacks. I think that was an issue we had on the recent season with pretty much every defender somehow becoming injured throughout the season. So having a number of fullbacks isn't going to be an issue. I still think the issue for Raw is someone up front being able to score, mm. and I don't know who that's going to be still. <laughs> Yeah, you can only rely on Taggart so much. I guess it's like a James McLaren situation. Is he going to be a James McLaren and score all those goals, or is he going to 
the uh, macaroni and for, score a few. For me, Eric Borciak with three goals already, albeit you know a couple, couple from the penalty spot. I think that's that's a good sign that now he might yeah. be into he might be that that scoring midfielder that we were sort of craving last season. So look, I think at the moment I think times are fairly positive. I think obviously you know the best laid plans can go to waste if come injuries or whatnot. But you know, look, there's a lot of optimism out there. Yeah, I would really love to see the formation they're actually playing with at the moment to see um, who is it, that target person at the top of the forward pack. I don't think Taggart's actually played yet. Yeah. Uh, the game, I, I did go to Logan games, and Dylan was the whole start up front in that game. So. Yeah, no, he, no, he hasn't seen any minutes yet, officially. We've got plenty to talk about between now and when the season starts, and October 18 when the draw came out this week. So, the first game of the season, Adelaide versus Sydney. So, for the first time in four years, the Royal will not be playing in the opening game. They're playing on Sunday afternoon against Mike Mulvey's Central Coast Mariners, the promoter's dream. <laughs> just on that, like I think, like I know the A League, like the A League when they put out, they try, they try and build up this old Mike Mulvey returns to 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 Suncorp. I actually don't think there's much in that. I think you know, he's been gone long enough, and I think if it, unless he start, he actually starts playing it up and you know starts saying, oh how badly he's treated at the time. Look, I think actually he'll, be, he'll actually be welcomed back. You know, he is our last championship winning coach. You know, and like I said, and, and I actually think that that was the pinpoint the moment where the where the fans started losing trust in the backeries and the club in general. And where it's sort of to this point, you know, it's so I don't think there's much to that other than hey, Mike Mulvey's back. I think the good thing about that game is Sunday afternoon. I think it's going to draw quite a considerable crowd. Hoping it's not a Friday night, it's not a Saturday night. People aren't doing things Sunday afternoon. Perfect time to get Suncorp Stadium. It is. It also, we actually have a raw hand in this game. So, if you remember back to 2012, when Ms. left, they probably didn't handle that return of that with all the stuff that happened. So, interesting if they go down that path again after some more welcoming return from Mike Mulvey. I think it's just, I think this difference will be the way Ange left, but then the way Mike left. No, I think I think I think a lot of people, um, sort of long-term fans, blame the club for the hand and the way that was handled, the way he was sacked. You know, you just don't. In the A-League over time, it's a very, very rare thing where you sack a coach mid-season for performance. Like, not when there's no relegation involved in like that. Just to sack him like that. There, there was talk about, you know, he lost the dressing room somewhat and senior players. But at the end of the day, like, a lot of people, a lot of fans took a side on that and a lot of them landed on the anti-club side of why to do that. So I think, as I said, I think he might be welcome. But then again, if he starts chirping... I change. And even those rumours about him losing the dressing room, same thing happened with Angel Postagoglu when he first came to the club. He lost Craig Moore, he lost all the senior players, and what did he do? He's like, goodbye. He's either me or him. And I think Broad made a mistake picking the players in that situation instead of doing what they yeah. did previously. If that's what happened. Sorry, Broad. It's, <laughs> it's all in the past now. Yeah. But yeah, they do. They start off the season with two home games straight away. Wellington in round two, and they finished with three home games, which is good for them as well. But I want to talk about that video that they put out, which oh. is absolutely fantastic. I know you're been sailing. Oh, look, that is just fantastic. It's um, look, credit to the raw yeah. media, um, like Shane, everyone over there. Like that, that was you know a lot of hilarity in that. And I think you know if you can't make fun of the other clubs, then what can you do? So now, kudos to them. That was a great. That was a great film. I think it's credit to Brisbane Lions as well for <laughs> maybe slightly giving me the idea, but no, nonetheless, that was the funniest thing. I actually didn't know there was a video until someone like retweeted that. So I was like, oh my god, what is this? What has happened? Okay, so then some of the more league specific things. They've brought in international breaks this time. The league is starting a week later for the October international window. They've got, and they've put breaks in in November and March, but not for the Asian Cup. What do you think of that? I think it's a good idea, but 
I think that really just. Cup I, should have had it I think that it really just says they don't really expect a lot of daily players to be selected yeah. in the Asian Cup side, or they think that the sides can do without their Asian players. And I, I don't think there's going to be considerable amounts of players missing no. from either any side. Yeah, I don't. I think it, I think that will be the post size that there'll be very few A League players probably picked in that. But also as well, I think the reason why it's not an international break is because Asian Cup for some reason is actually not fit to protect it. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, that. And then that's where the clubs have the power and say, you know what, you know, we keep playing on. So, I think some clubs it might be an issue with the same what happened with the with the Joey's um, last season, where mm. a whole bunch of the players yep. had to go overseas for competition. Yep. And clubs are going to get upset about this yeah. issue, but there's nothing they can be upset about if they're going to lose some of their big players. Play the younger guys come in. Yep. Like this is what this um, period is about. You got to be able to play the young players coming. Through. Well, I think at the end of the day, if you if your recruitment includes you know potential socceroos, you've got to be you, you, you know this tournament's on. The other thing is, build not, around it. I'm not sure we can say there's not going to be many players from the A League in the Asian Cup because we don't know what Graham Miles is going to do. I mean, mm-hmm. we have seen Risden and Petrarchus sometimes come into the socceroos because they have a strong chance to be included. Maybe maybe Arnold chooses some of the Sydney FC players for this. But I think there might be more than we think. But maybe for the group stage, they should have postponed the league. But I understand why they haven't because it's already. They're already condensing it down as much as possible, so it's difficult. So. Yeah. But the, the finals are very interesting because the grand finals we hosted on May the 18th or the 19th, but there could be a problem if the Royal do get to the semi-finals though. Yeah, look, the NRL, um, have, they've decided ne- next year, instead of having their, the traditional doubleheader, they're actually going to have the, the uh, Magic Weekend. For those who aren't familiar with um, NRL Rugby League, um, it's something they've done in England for a long time where basically you have all your teams at 16 clubs one location play around over the weekend one venue. Uh, NRL chosen Suncorp Stadium for that next year, which in May, which could you know, if if the Raw somehow do get to the final, there might be a few some scheduling problems. We are with the NRL haven't actually announced the dates yet on the specific dates. So it might not be the grand final, but it will be that final series at least at some, some point. For the week of the semi-final. Yeah, so yeah they've, they've said they've said round nine, but until they actually announce their, their schedule. Okay. We don't. We sort of don't know which way round nine would be. Because I did have it. They did come out and say we wanted these dates, but then there were a few clashes around those yeah. dates. I know. So I know. I know. Queensland Reds are definitely up in arms because um, they host the Waratahs, which is probably their biggest drawing game, mm-hmm. allegedly on that same weekend. So it may be shifted, maybe shifted around that. But at some point, if the Raw are in the final series, they're made, and they've got a home final that may be affected because of Magic Weekend. We'll have to wait and see on that, but. We'll move on to the W-Draw, which did not come out this weekend, but we do know, but we do know that it will start on October 26th, Angel. Yes, um, thanks to some people's brilliant math skills, and probably not mine, it will start on the 26th, and that kind of unfortunately means that it's starting at the same time as last season, and it kind of gives a bit of dismiss to maybe a full home and away season for the first time in 11 seasons. <laughs> so you're expecting a similar length draw to... Last season. Yeah, looking back at, well, we've also got Female Football Week, which is from November 23rd to 25th. Technically, Female Football Week has been in, held in March throughout all the states, but considering that they're not going to be extending that and they've moved it to November, it just kind of makes me think that maybe one or two games will be included extra, and that's about it. Um, I give FIFA the benefit of the doubt. I hope this isn't true, but it would be if this if this doesn't happen it's been 11 seasons since we've had a we've never had a full home and away season and it kind of needs an explanation as to why this is happening oh look i think i think it just distorts a draw completely like either they, like, this whole 
I know they've got a certain window, but either play once or or play or you got to play twice. I think there's certain distortions in the draw where I think where I think we're all benefited this year, mm-hmm. where they well <laughs> the season just gone, where where you know if they had have drawn um, a couple of other sides for a second time, that may have you know ch- changed the results. Like Sydney FC. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I, I only play Sydney FC once. Yeah, that might, I was trying to think which um, side it actually the biggest effect, and it would be Sydney FC. Um, yeah, like I said, it's I think it really distorts the draw, and it then becomes down to the luck of the draw. So look, I think they've either got to fight the ball and say, okay, you only play once, which is not good, but at least for fairness of the draw and the equity of the fixture list, I think that'd be better than playing this like one and a half. I think that then it becomes then it becomes luck of the draw almost. Because people down at FFA are already predicting pretty much how the season's going to play out, mm-hmm. even if they don't, think, even I'll if that's fun. not really what's happening. Mm-hmm. They're pretty much predicting someone's how similar seasons end up on each going to go, and that's not the way we no. want to grow W League in Australia. It's, it's season eleven. You either add Central Coast Mariners, and that'll mm. give us two extra games anyways, yep. or you have full home and away. And I feel like we're just going to get the one, two extra games without Central Coast Mariners. <laughs> so, it's Central kind of like a middle. So there's no Central Coast Mariners either. It doesn't look like Central Coast Mariners will be joining. Um, AMW League at all, but for reasons that were previous to reason why they stopped playing in the competition in the first place, and that was because they weren't financially viable to Central Coast Mariners. So you've got no idea when a draw is going to come out. It's just still waiting to hear anything at all. No, yeah, it usually comes out around um, September the draw, and probably the same thing as this year. Well, we might move on then to the AFF Championships, where the young Matilda's been playing for a while. They've done quite well for themselves, making the final. Yeah, it was actually quite great. This um, good to see the side make the final. It's the second time since, well, I think 2013 they had made the final, and the first time they had made the final was with the um, Australian, with, 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 was with Matildas back in 2008. So it's really good to see them um, having progressed. They finished third and fourth in the previous tournament. So to make the final, even though they lost to Thailand three-two. They played brilliant football, and I think it's just a really good path that they're going down. It's important to know that this was the full Thai national yeah. got to a senior team tournament and Australians decided to go yeah, 20 this, for experience. This Thailand team had 17 players from their Asian Cup squad, which pretty much made the Matildas go to a penalty shootout. So mm. it's really good to see that they were really actually able to hold their own against Thailand in most of the, in most of the first half, <laughs> and then the second half did. There was, there was a bit of conjecture as well as like, but there's some people out there, I think more ignorant people out there saying, oh, you know, how could the Matildas lose, like the young Matildas lose to Thailand the first time round? And it was like, well, no, hang on. This is the under-20s, young Matildas, versus the full Thai senior women's team. You made the Asian Cup, but I'm yeah. going to a World Cup after yeah. all. Yeah, so... Yeah, they're a very good side Yeah, yeah, there's things. And so it's not, I, I believe there's no, um, there's no shame in, in them finishing second. And in fact, I think it's a positive. And I know that the other impression is that, you know, beating up, you know, Cambodia 12 0, team, East Timor 9 0. You know, I don't know, like, at the end of the day, I still think winning is good, even even. But what I'd like to see is why the men don't play that. It's all valuable experience, isn't it? It's all one of the things we don't get that enough. Well, as I, when I spoke to Alan Sage before the, this tournament happened, I asked him why are we sending the young Matildas? Like, it's a question that everyone asks every year. It's very confusing to people like, why we send the young Matildas side to a tournament with women's teams. But it's mostly because the young teams do not get international experience anywhere. You look at, Nor- you look at um, Europe, they're playing Norway, England, all down the 17 teams are playing every weekend against other teams in the, country, in the continent. But 
Australia don't really get that. Yep, exactly. And I think that's valuable, even if we do thrash teams, yeah. to being able to build a side, to get international experience, to be able to go to a competition. I think people forget that the young Matildas haven't made a World Cup since 2006 with Claire Holding Horn and Lydia Williams. Like, it's been that long, and I think this is only a step forward. I think also as well, it'd be, it'd be pointless and almost, you know, almost career suicide for a couple of our top you know, Matilda's play if the full senior team went to this tournament. Because at the end of the day, if our young Matilda's beating, you know, na our regional neighbours, you know, by seven, eight, nine goals, like I said, what is the point of, you know, of you know, potentially risking some of those players, a lot of the, our, our, you know, senior Matilda's are playing in the NWSL at the moment. To bring them back for a tournament like this, with a little concert, and even if we blitz it and win it, what does it do for their careers, especially with tournament agents coming up? Well, it's kind of like the reason why, oh. why the Socceroos and Australia made the move to the um, AFC instead of staying in the OFC. Yeah. Like, we were thrashing America some over 31 yeah. nil. What, what's that teaching anyone in these days? Giving Archie Thompson a good goal. Adam mentioned tournament agents, so we should move on. So, Angela, how many people do you expect, how many players do you expect from your squad to transition over to the tournament agents squad? Um, I definitely think Alex Judiak will be in it and yep. her um, signing with Atletico Madrid did say that she was preparing for Tournament of Nations, so I do think that she'll be there. Um, Larissa Kramer could make an appearance there. She's been playing in defence. She did play with the young Matildas to get experience. She's been out of the senior side for two years almost before the um, Asian Cup, so that's why she was sent there. She can make the switch and Courtney Vine there too. But I would love to see um, if Stage includes young um, Mary Fowler, who scored yeah, 10 goals, Golden Boot. I think even if she doesn't play a game, there'll be valuable experience for her to be yeah. able to play, um, to play with Matilda and get integrated into the squad. So, and there's, some, there's some very good young players there in that young Matilda squad, so it's worth pointing out, because they did very well in this, game, in this yeah. tournament. There were some great goals from Thailand as well to actually win the game. I would say we'll watch out for a few of those players, hopefully they'll be playing W League in this upcoming season. I think it's something that we don't see enough of as well, and you, and you hope maybe from a Thai point of view to, to sign those players as well, because like I said, we, we've only really seen like, one Asian, one or two Asian players in W League. That was one was um, Waikie Chung. So I, that's a, I think it's a market that's still quite untapped, and you obviously have seen that you know Thailand. You now we've actually had Matildas through young Matildas. We've actually had, you know a bit of a rivalry now. So you'd hope that you now some of those better players you might. Actually, look at um, signing for the W League. I think we also got like a responsibility being in this um, ASEAN competition that we have to help develop these yeah. um, countries who aren't able to be where Australia's at. We're very fortunate in Australia to be able to have the resources we do. And even though people complain that we aren't producing the stars of the future, we aren't winning World Cups, we're way better off than where a lot of our neighbours are. We might do very well in the World Cup next year, you never know. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Tournament Nations kicks off on July 26th when Australia take on Brazil and then take on the United States and Japan and then fingers crossed they might bring it home again next year. Yeah, fingers crossed. And a lot of people are saying Australia are favourites to win this. I can't discount anyone else, especially Japan who just won the Asian Cup. I think it's going to be a really strong competition. Oh, I, think, I think USA always are going to be tough no matter what. <laughs> so, I think uh, Matilda's being favourites in that. I think that might be a little premature, but you know what, all your hope is they, they do well. I think that at the end of the day, you know, these tournaments, it's not always about the result. If we can win it, that's that's brilliant, but you want to see progression. Yeah. Alright, so we might cut it off there, go to the back talk about the MPL next week. This is the Brisbane Football Review. And welcome back to the final segment of the Brisbane Football.
or do you hear Adam? How can people get in contact with us? Uh, we've got uh, on Facebook at Raw Review, pending Facebook's approval to a change. Um, we have changed recently with Twitter. We're now at b and &E Football Review. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you listen to this on iTunes and Whisker on uh, for the podcast, and you can email us at brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. So, Enter, how can people see some of your work? If you type into Facebook, the women's game, we will come up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> and also, we're all the same Twitter handle, um, the women at the women's game, and same with Instagram at the women's game. Yeah, we need it. We need to invest in Instagram. What's the boss yeah, gets Insta back? Instagram's great. It's just trying to teach people how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't get the stories, but anyway, we'll get there someday. Yeah, You're fine. So why don't we move on to talk about the NPL Queensland? We'll start with the men's competition in the round twenty-one. The result: Brisbane City had a four-nil win away to the Sunshine Coast. Brisbane Strikers won at home 5-1 against Redlands. Western Pride 4-1 over the South of Queensland Thunder. A bit of a surprise result, North Queensland 3-1 over Kansas City. And last night again, we were at Adam North Lions 1-11 Morton Bay. Playing today, make five Gold Coast, and the game we're at now, Olympic Royal Youth. Adam, what happened at Lions Stadium last night in the top of the table play? Look, I think the... Um, I actually think that the title may be headed to Richlands, I think, based on that win. Um, look, it was, a, it was a tough game, you know, two... You know, top teams in the league, you know, going out, and it was um, Mac Madel's goal that um, that's sold just before half time. I think it actually, depending on who the title actually goes to, I think it might come down to the FFA Cup game they have um, against Olympic in a few weeks' time, depending on how tired um, Lions will be against the weekend game and if they'll only drop any points along the way of the FFA Cup journey. The top four does appear to be set, though. It's pretty much set the top four, it's just the order. Yeah, it just it really depends. I I think anything's possible in NPL as we've seen from the last few seasons. Um, Olympic dropping down from being front runners to fourth, and if they lose any more games and strikers keep going the way they're going, something could happen there like it was. But I think the top two or th two three maybe set, but for what order they'll go in, I have no clue. Well, at the moment, the strikers are seven points behind yeah. in the race for top four. Look, uh, Morton Bay was their first loss in 12 league games last night to Lions. So I think I think they'll, they'll be okay. I think they've actually lost both games against Lions this season, home and away. So I think, I think um, Lions may have their number. But um, look, I wouldn't discount them on last night. Western Pride back to form. And look, Olympic have got a, you know, we'll have a decent test against, you know, a four-game unbeaten Raw youth this afternoon. But um, look, I think the four set. And I, and I think at the moment, Lions are in the box seat the winner. I think it's just coming down to Strikers have something to play for and Redlands are trying to battle relegation and Strikers just came out and filled with a very, I think not a youthful side, but a side that has had experience in the past and have been playing together throughout um, the last few weeks. Like if you look at their subs bench and if you look at their goalkeeper, Tommy uh, Mesmich, uh, I can't Sorry. say his name right. <laughs> yeah, if you look at him, I think a lot of those guys have actually been playing together for a while. And Redland don't really have an excuse. And Nick will say that too. Um, they should have come out and really put it to strikers, but those early goals really hard. I think the relegation battle comes down to a couple of weeks' time when uh, Redlands goes to Townsville to play. Because North Queensland beating Cairns FC last night in the North Queensland derby, that... Um, that really puts a spin on things. <laughs> well, we have the, um, the table in front of me right now. The win for North Queensland actually brings it to they're two points behind Redlands and Mackay's in there as well. So it's, it's right on between those three teams now. Yeah, pretty much if Redlands coming down, if Redlands can beat um, um, North Queensland away, but also come down to the 
when they play against Magpies, Crusaders, United win those games. I think that really might set it apart, but it's really up to all of the four teams, well, five teams really, with um, Southwest Queensland Thunder down there, if they will, who will stay up and who will go down. We've actually got a surprise late addition to the show here, a late substitute, Simon Smell, the football Queensland commentator at Brisbane City Media Man. Good to see you, Simon. G'day, guys. How are you? So you did, I assume you were up at Sunshine Coach yesterday? Yeah, I was, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty com- pretty comfortable victory for Brisbane City, to be honest. Uh, 4-0, it was a family affair for the um, Fechners. Alex Fechner got a maiden senior hat-trick and then... Kai Fechner, his 17-year-old brother, I think I'm right in saying that, he, um, he got his maiden senior goal, so, or maiden senior goal in the NPL, he has scored in the FFA Cup. So. It was a cracking goal as well in the FFA Cup. Yeah, it was a good goal, yeah, and it wasn't a bad one yesterday either. Uh, it, it, Sunshine Coast didn't offer much, I think that's fair to say, uh, and I think that's um, it's just a reflection of where they're at at the moment. Unfortunately, it looks like there's sort of no saving them from this point onwards, and uh, City struggled to make the most of their possession. I think that's also fair to say. Uh, they looked like they were going to be frustrated for long periods, but then at just before half-time, uh, it was a bit of a fortunate goal, a bit of a scuffed shot that um, Adam Edgar managed to step over and deceive pretty much everybody, <laughs> including everyone watching, and um, managed to trickle into the back of the net. And that really sort of settled City for the second half, and then it was pretty comfortable from that point on. All right, so we'll move on to MKW now. So. Couple of results from that one. Lions seven two over as Simon walks off. <laughs> Lions seven two win over the um Celtics. The bundle of Raw had a win over Mitchelton. The Gap beat beat Gold Coast United. And a game you were at also, Angela. Logan Lightning four one against Western Pride. It's always an interesting game when Logan go to Western Pride or when Western Pride go to Logan, and it wasn't any different. Um, I will give a shout out to the number ten from Logan Lightning. She is fabulous. She is a Young, I don't really know how old she is. She's her, her first name's Natalia. Can't say her last name. I don't want to stuff it up anymore. <laughs> but she was fabulous, and she's quite fast on the ball. Scored a hat trick as well, and all deserved girls. Pride really did not struggle, but Logan were just a dominant team in the end. Pride had their chances, just couldn't capitalize, and that's been a theme of this season. And it's, it's again, it's a race for the spot in the fourth because Lions South Send. Gap seemed to be secure in top three. Yeah, I thought between Morton Bay and the Raw and TC for the The spot. game against Mitchelton for Raw was really important to see yep. who would um, go to well, who would really finish fourth and fifth. I think. I think at the start of the season it was something like Mitchelton could really put, push it to Raw, um, but now it's between Raw and Morton Bay. I so I'm really interested to see, especially considering Raw have such a young team for the NTC side. The Friday, Friday, August the 10th at Walter Park, I think will be the decider between Morton Bay and Brisbane Raw Youth. That's uh, NTC, sorry. Um, that's that's the I think that's the game that will decide fourth place. And the player who may be able to decide it, Megan McElligot, made a move recently from Gold Coast United to Morton Bay. I think it's just a logical move for Megan. Um, in the end, she really does want to play finals football. She wants to be the best that she can be, and she wants to get better every game. And I don't know if Gold Coast. United not being able to finish above fourth was maybe possibly hindering that, but I think good on her. She scored four goals in two games now, and she's back to her best. Do we know? Do we know if she's on the radar for for the senior Brisbane Royal W League team? For the last two seasons, she's been training with the Brisbane Royal Women's side. Um, it's just a matter of Mel having the faith and belief that she can be able to play it in W League. So they've got four players now. Got ten plus goals now. They've got tremendous fighting. That could be the thing. Well, it's good to see Morton Bay back at their best. They were great in the first few seasons. They sometimes were great and showed good to the moment. But I think those two seasons or three seasons off from not having a women's team maybe has shown that they do have talent in that area. And it's quite, un- it's 
we, we, were, we were reminiscing earlier about that, you know, Morton Bay and South Sydney were to meet um, in the final series. That, you know, it was only three years ago that when those two teams met, I think they had about 200 goals scored between them. So, it, how, how times have changed for both clubs? I do remember covering a game where they played last or second last to catch up game the last round of the season. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but we should move on to the FQPL, where Peninsula Power have last week wrapped up the, the promotion. This week, wrap up the Premiership with a convincing win over the Knights. It was a fantastic, fantastic win. Yeah, look, um, to be honest, they've been the form team all, all season long, FQPL. It's good that they've wrapped up promotion. They've wrapped up the championship now. Look, they probably would have liked to have you know, been in the you know, FA Cup. You know, they've made some a few adjustments. I'm try, I'm trying to be careful. Yeah, I'm trying on very um, fine territory on that. But they're sort of mid-season recruiting. But look, they deserve to be there. Um, it'll be interesting how they go next year in the NPL. How do you how do you expect them to go in the NPL? They've recruited very well. Oh, they have, and I think they, even before the recruitment, they're an incredibly strong side, even in pre-season. Um, they put eight past an albeit very young Brisbane City side. Um, the game finished 8-4 or 8-3 or something, the final of the Macron Cup up there at AJ Kelly. And they are a strong side. I'd expect them to be pushing for finals in their first season. Um, like you said, I mean, it was perhaps expected that they might have even jumped straight into the National Premier League's last season. It was perhaps a little bit of a surprise that they weren't. Um, but they've rectified what they would perceive to be a wrong, and, and I think they're going to just go great guns from here on in. I think credit credit to them for doing so well this season. Um, I personally didn't think that even if people thought they were going to get to NPL, especially their fans, that they didn't really probably just not like they didn't deserve to be. They just didn't make sense seeing a team that wasn't previously in the NPL being in the competition. Um, but yeah, I can't really say too much in their mid-season recruitment as I am from Redlands. So they did recruit a Redlands player. It's on that. Alex Morrowood yep. from Redlands. And I say Morrowood's a great player. He's a great bloke um, from personally knowing him. And good on him for doing so well at Peninsula Park from since, he's, since he's been there. He's been team of the week, scored a brilliant free kick. Um, I think he scored a hat-trick too um, over, over the weekend against Bunce, um, My Bay. My bay. Yep. So credit to him for doing that. Um, I hope Peninsula do the right thing and keep it from the next season. But you're always welcome back at Redlands. We, <laughs> we, we, have, we have heard so within sources of the club that he pretty much has signed his way for next season. So that was the intent. How it was done? Well, it's... Uh, that's we, yeah, that's, and I yeah, leave that. that. Yeah. Yeah. leave that once I move on to the other interesting game of the weekend. Logan Lightning lost 4-1 at home to South, which is... Which opens up the second promotion place. Yeah, I really did think. Uh, I haven't been really keeping up with FQPL, to be honest. It's not really my domain. But hearing that, I thought Logan were for were a shorter spot, pretty much to get um, the promotion. Then hearing South beat them, I think it's brilliant for South too, though. It's great for the young blokes in that squad. South South have been a real sort of inconsistent. They, they start off well. They, they then we, we actually saw them in that FFA Cup game against uh, Morton Bay. At Walter Park, and they were ordinary. I think that's and that's actually being very, very kind to them, and it's still falling away. But it looks like there's a bit of a resurgence. So I almost say, thank God that you know that they're they're back in the mix. East is still there because at least that will give some um, importance to the rest of the way. Because like Penpower are over the hill, far away as far as that goes. But that second promotion spot is still well into well, play. It's close because South are five points behind and have a game in hand. And East are seven points behind with two games in hand, so it's all to play for. Who do we, who do we think like in the second spot? East, Logan, or South? Angel? See, I wish I could really make a solid, <laughs> a solid recommendation. To be fair, I'm saying South is because it's closer to home for me, so it's <laughs> a purely biased point of view, but I'll go with South. If 
Logan are going on the swarm losing to one, one quarter south. Um, it can't be a good direction to be in. Unless they change around dramatically for the last few games of the season. They might miss out altogether if South have a game ahead. Um, I still think South will make it. East having two games in hand on the rest, I think that's all going to be. I, if I had to pick one now, I actually think East, but them sort of struggling in against like Rochdale and whatnot, their form is questionable, but while they've got games... But while they've got games in hand, I think they they may be slightly favoured, but look, that could be anyone's. Yeah, and it seems like consistency in form in the FKPL other than, other than um, Penn Power, I think it's very all over the place. So it's that's very good. Competition, yeah. It'll be interesting to see when um, East make up these games, though, and see um, how that contributes to the end of the season. Because when you play those games, really actually we'll see if they're important wins or losses, or even if they're going to muck up any injuries or anything like that. That's what mid-season games, mid-week games could do to you, even if it's a wet, oh, wet weather weekend. Who it knows? Be, it should be a very interesting end to the season. That might be the show to end. Thank you for joining us again, Angela. Yeah, no worries for having you. Good to see you again, Adam. Yeah, see you always. Enjoy your work, We might let James back next week. We'll have to wait and see. No, we'll see if um, this Australian cast will blend back in first. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry the book out in Wellington. Anyway, that's another <laughs> edition of the Brisbane Football Review. We'll see you next time.